That's a wrap. Episode 9. We're live. Okay, so welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number nine. Today we are going to be talking about film class, um, approaches to teaching film, what people should expect in a film class, um, and things like that. And then in our segment two, we will have a discussion about uh, Man of Steel between me and Nick. You guys might remember a few weeks ago, I was uh, bashing that film. Well, Nick saw it, and he had a different opinion. He disagreed. So we hash it out for about 40 minutes <laughs> in segment two. So if you're not interested in teaching film, you might want to skip ahead to that. But but, um, but I think we'll have a, a really interesting discussion here. So uh, I am Eric Marshall. I am Chris Gullen. I am Nick Schlegel. And uh, we're here with That's a Wrap, episode number nine. Uh, before we get started with the uh, with our uh, with the pickups in the discussion, I want to talk about the little experiment we're doing. Uh, we talked to you about this in episode number eight, um, and uh, we just want to talk to you about it very quickly now. We're doing an experiment with uh, iTunes rating. Uh, we're asking people to rate us on iTunes on a very specific date. Um, and that date is uh, August 23rd, Friday, August 23rd. Yes, please. And, and what we're trying, what we're trying to do is to see. We're going to see what happens if we get as many uh, ratings and reviews as possible uh, on the same day. And we're hoping that that will uh, bust us into the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. Uh, it's worth a try. Why not? You've been thinking about rating us anyway. You just haven't gotten around to it, right? So um, just wait until the 23rd, and we'll send some uh, email not email reminders, but Facebook reminders um, out as the as the weeks go by to kind of remind you. It's gonna be fun. It's a nice little experiment, and we'll see what happens. And we're just yes. asking for honest reviews. Please, uh, ratings bomb is definitely uh, I think in order because <laughs> uh, we uh, we know we've got some listeners out there, but um, you know it, it's kind of a real one way model right now. We don't have a whole lot of feedback going on. Right, right, and that's what and that's what we're hoping for. I mean, we want the feedback, but we're also trying to see if this can, you know, kind of uh, get us in there. So, yeah, so please do that on the twenty third of August. Uh, that's a Friday, and we'll we'll give you reminders. Let, if you like us on Facebook, you'll see you'll see that. If you don't like us on Facebook, go like us on Facebook. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so just uh, more business to get out of the way. If you want to find uh, the website, it's that's a rap show dot com, uh, and from there you can get to our Twitter feed, which is Rap Podcast, um, and everything else you need is right there on that's a rap show dot com. So what's up with you guys? Anything new? Well, um, just finishing up the summer, getting ready to teach. Um, I did want to make one comment just to show how things come full circle. I was listening recently to uh, a radio show called Michael Feldman's What Do You Know on Wisconsin Public Radio, mm -hmm. and they were talking to the director of Coffee Time, um, the independent film from College Humor, um, who is actually, actually is the, the head of College Humor, and they happened to bring up when they were talking the whole Lucas Spielberg um, discussion. Huh. About our, you know, that we recently had, and how funny it was that, um, you know, with with films like The Lone Ranger, um, that you know Disney's vehicle that absolutely bombed. I mean, it just it stunk to high heaven uh, <laughs> at the box office, and how Coffee Time is, you know, there's 
there's not a lot of marketing money behind it, but it's all going through word of mouth, and um, so it's 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 kind of kind of interesting. And I, I kind of relate to the coffee time because I I do that whole squatting at Starbucks and using it as my portable office. <laughs> so um, this just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there um, that you know that other people are talking about the same stuff about the future of cinema and how indie cinema you know at some point um, you know might uh, eclipse some of these big blockbusters. Yeah. I don't have a so. whole lot to add to to what's going on right now. You know, um, I'm getting uh, proposals out the door this week for my book. And um, I expect, you know, good things where that's concerned. And that's that's pretty much what I've spent the last six weeks doing is working on the book, rewriting the book, getting the proposals to get proposal together, and um, and just you know prepping for the fall, which is steadily approaching. Uh, watching lots of movies, framing some movie posters. I just had a birthday <laughs> the other day. The other day, so you know, you guys have seen on Facebook. I've been posting pictures. You know, I've decided to um, make a concerted effort. I have. You guys just can't imagine. Well, Chris, you've probably seen more than Eric, but I I have a ton of art. Uh, oh yeah, and, and oh, autographs. Yeah. Uh, only a small sampling of which is actually framed it on the wall. I've got archives of stuff, and my current project is, I think, to get my eight by tens connected to the three by five autographs that go with those eight by tens. And so today was the first uh, I, I inaugurated the whole thing by framing a Stephanie Powers autograph and eight by ten, matting it. 12 by 16 and then framing it it turned out really nice and I thought I'd start off with Stephanie no offense to Stephanie I love her dearly but it was not one of my more really valuable autographs in 8 by 10 so <laughs> if, they, if there was an you know a, a problem it was you know it was okay but uh, um, you know so that's probably and it, and it turned out absolutely fantastic it's a great picture of her sort of like circa girl from uncle late 60s so she's looking pretty killer I must say We'll put, I'll put it up on the site for everybody. All right, sounds good. Sounds <laughs> I know they're dying good. too. How are you doing, Eric? <laughs> oh, I'm doing fine, man. I'm just uh, getting ready for uh, for the fall, uh, trying to prep these uh, these classes. Uh, one of which is totally new to me. Um, so yeah, doing a lot of that. Uh, I just started watching Orange Is the New Black, the yeah, Netflix the original. Too. How is it? Yeah, me too. It's quite good. Yeah, it's quite good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's, I'm seven episodes in or so. It's uh, wow, you're blazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's well written, well acted. It's it's a it's it's good. Um, it's not exactly what I expected, but it was. It's I, I'm really liking it a lot. Well, so there's Netflix for you, man. I'm there's you. Netflix for you. Yeah. So yeah, I've been watching that and uh, just kind of trying to. Keep it all together and get ready for this uh, for this next semester for the fall. That's about Which it for me. Kind of the topic of uh, today's discussion. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Getting ready for the fall semester, or shall we say, more on a macro level, just teaching in general. Yeah, Good definitely. Oh. So uh, yeah, so let's jump. You want to jump in? For, 
uh, for segment one of Principles Photography today, we're talking about uh, teaching film. All three of us are film professors at different places. Uh, we all have quite a bit of experience uh, teaching at a variety of places. We've all taught at Wayne State University. We've all taught at other universities, and we've all taught at the community college level. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have different experience um, teaching different types of types of classes so I thought you know we could we could get together and talk about our teaching philosophies uh, talk about what students can or should expect when they walk into a film class mm-hmm. um, and you know just just things like that kind of you know what what is a film class why would you take a film class why would you teach a film class what do colleges offer film classes <laughs> these are like the kind of the big questions i want to answer today is kind of like how do you approach this sort of thing um given the the different variety of students levels of students things like that um engagement and of students engagement of students and and how do you you know in in 12 weeks or 15 weeks um you know kind of impart what's important about watching film so these are some of the broad questions we're gonna we're gonna answer uh we're gonna keep it clean today um because uh, <laughs> we're gonna be we, we might want to link this um for other educators and we, we're gonna try to make this segment safe although i think uh in, in segment two nick and i swear a little bit but we'll keep yeah. this section clean so um, yeah, we usually keep it pretty pg-13 in general so. yeah for the most part yeah. yeah but we're all adults here um which actually well, that's actually one of my questions is the all adults thing. We'll, we'll come to that later, though. So what do you um, – as far as teaching philosophy, I hate, I kind of hate that that saying, teaching philosophy, because it, it brings to mind that, that document that you have to prepare for True. job searches that, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. kind of oh, – yeah, yeah. all that all kind of say the same thing, you know, to, to a large extent. But, you know, I think we all do have um, teaching philosophies uh, – and I'll let you one of you guys go first if you want in terms of like how do you approach teaching film? Who wants to go first? Nick, you can go first. Oh, well, for me it's it's um it, it's very intuitive and and uh, at the level of um uh, of of who I am as a person, you know. I mean, I I've, I've been passionate uh about cinema since I was at a very 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 early age and and those of you who know me and those who are former students know that it's sort of just uh, it's part of my DNA. So getting excited about it and passionate is probably the first ingredient that I think you need to you know uh, keep keep um, students in any discipline interested. I mean, if you're sort of uh, not engaged, there's a lack of enthusiasm. There's not much passion. You know, then it's going to be really easy for I think for students to tune out. But at least if you're engaged in your dynamic, you walk around the room, you raise your voice, you are constant, constantly referencing things in your own life in relation to the films or experiences you've had with them, so on and so forth. It, I think it, it sort of like it stitches you into the whole um, you know, fabric of it. Uh, but my philosophy is pretty simple apart from that. I think that's the first ingredient. The second ingredient is simply, you know, and I... I just approach it from a media literacy standpoint. Uh, yeah. to, today, if you want to get through to people, the, you know, the best way to do it is is usually through the ways in which youngsters, you know, you know, adolescents, teenagers, young adults get their information. 
which is through all the the outlets that we you know through through rock and roll and through through lyrics and through films and through the media and through their phone and through you know billboard ads and magazine ads and print media so if they're a bit uh, if if i can do my job in the classroom and impart the i think the the tools necessary for students to you know, actively engage with the constant bombardment of media messages out there, um, and to think critically in relationship to it. Um, then, on the macro level, I think I'm doing my job, and that's you know that's sort of like um, how I approach the the broad field of media studies. I can answer the question much more specifically when we talk about film or nonfiction film or narrative film, you know. But then, in, in the broadest sense, I try to be passionate. And I try to give them the skills that they need in today's political and cultural climate to be able to traverse with some degree of facility the constant bombardment of mixed messages, propaganda, so on and so forth that, that's out there. Yeah, that sounds about right. Chris, I concur. what do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I think if, if you don't have passion, uh, I, then, then there's really no point in, in teaching any subject. If you, if you don't love of your topic, if you don't, if if you don't live and breathe your topic, um, and your field, there's there's really no point in doing it because that that's going to be instantly relayed to the students. I mean, I think we all had, we've all cumulatively spent couple probably a couple of decades in in undergrad and graduate school between the three of us, and I'm sure there were professors who we had <laughs> that you know they really didn't give a care about what they what they were talking about and, and that was very very clear so passion is is just it's 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 absolutely it's it's a must the other approach that i have especially with teaching film is to <clears throat> excuse me is to give my students things that they are not necessarily exposed to i mean mm-hmm. most of our students are you know they they have this 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 you know they're part of this um, fragmented rap video culture and they have seen a lot of the, co- the 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 contemporary stuff. They've seen the Hangover too. They've seen all of these other these other things. But yeah, I try and expose them to things and say, okay, you've seen the Hangover too. But without a film like Duck Soup, you, there would be no Hangover too. Mm-hmm. With you know, so I try and bring things in that they are not familiar with. You know, when I talk about animation, I almost never discuss Disney. You know, because because they've been deluged with Disney, especially the kids who are in college now. The only thing I do when I talk about animation is I show them this propaganda film called Defure's Face, which just completely <laughs> blows their minds. Um, but you know, I, I I will then talk about other forms of animation. I'll t- you know I'll, I'll talk about I'll show them you know, um, uh, Triple to Belleville or something like that. You know, so. Mm-hmm. For me, it's really about exposing them to stuff that they either would not go out to see themselves, or they just haven't had the opportunity to be exposed to. You know, there's a lot of kids out there, uh, students who are not familiar with foreign foreign cinema. They they've never seen foreign cinema, and then you show them a movie like Lola Rent, which kind of uh, or Run Lola Run, which brings together foreign cinema that may, they may not be exposed to, but the, with with an editing style and a um, and a soundtrack that is very very familiar to them that sound that the, the the look it's very familiar i once had a student say that they loved run Lola run because it felt like an a, a set a, an 80 minute music video mm. uh with with some with some dialogue so i try and you know that's that's those 
the pat like like Nick said, uh, passion is definitely a thing. Is my you know what I walk into every semester, but also trying to just show them stuff and expose them to things that they're uh, not overly familiar with, but that they but then they can um, connect to and make those make those leaps and say, wow, you know that this this we wouldn't have this without this, and we wouldn't have this without this. Right. Yeah. Um. I mean, I agree with both of you about the passion for sure. Uh, you know, my 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 student evaluations consistently have enthusiasm peppered. You know, it's always very enthusiastic. He really loves his subject. You know, things like that. That's usually my highest score is enthusiasm, which is nice because I think all wants, three of us have that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that's definitely a part of it. But you know, one of the challenges that I find is. Um, like I, I find that my job as a film professor is to, is is there are a couple things you have to do, and and you both have already mentioned most of it. It's um, exposure is one, um, and the challenge though is you're trying to expose your students to things that they might not have already seen, and probably have not already seen, um, but you have 15 weeks. You have between 12 and 15 feature-length films you can show during the course of a semester, depending on the structure of your semester and the stru- structure of your classes, right? And that's always hard mm-hmm. because you're talking about a century of cinema, <laughs> you know, in 50 <laughs> weeks. So it's it's hard, and so I'm always I'm always cognizant of that, of 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 doing the historical stuff, doing the foreign stuff, doing genres that they may not seek out on their own. Um, and the other part um, is something that Nick also mentioned is the is the critical part. I my the way I look at it is. My job is to make the invisible visible. Yeah. You know, because the entire goal, as we all know, of Hollywood cinema is to look invisible, especially with the editing style, to look natural. And our job, I think, by talking, by breaking it down, as I think all three of us do, between mise-en-scene and cinematography and editing and sound week by week by week by week, is to go, look, these are choices that filmmakers make, right, from the time it's written to the t- to production to casting to all that stuff. So to me, it's about exposure, but it's also about making the invisible visible, so that they begin to to realize that oh, these are this could have been done differently. These are these are not like these naturalistic things, and luckily we can do both at the same time. Obviously, <laughs> and sometimes right. showing the historical films or things that they might not have already seen is a good way to do that. You know, things where there's resistance, where they're like, "Why are you making me watch Citizen Kane?" Right? Then you can explain. <laughs> it's funny why, you say that, Eric, because that's you know? what we did, did this morning at, at Eastern. I was subbing uh, for a colleague this morning. And uh, this week is the Citizen Kane week. This morning was, you know, we screened the battle, the battle for Citizen Kane, you know, the two-hour documentary. Okay. And then Wednesday we actually screened Kane. And uh, of course, I began the lecture as I always do by talking about how if you've, if you've gone to an intro, to, if you've taken an intro to film class and you didn't watch Citizen Kane, you should be pissed. Uh, <laughs> you know, that that that's, uh, you know, it's it's probably. Um, an oversight. I would say that you may never take another film class. You know, particularly those of you who have, are not majors in the in anywhere near the humanities. And that's you know the analogy I made this morning. And I know these come fast and quick to us because we make them all the time when we're teaching. But today it just happened to be I, you know, I said you know that's like taking a chemistry class and not looking at the periodic table. You know, it's sort of like. Yeah, we have to watch Kane. In fact, we've got an entire week devoted to it this morning, and you know, I mean, 
questions of of uh, subjectivity aside of whether it's the greatest film or not, I mean, it's certainly undeniably the most influential film of the sound era, and it needs to be addressed as such, I mm-hmm. think, in every class. I know a lot of people. Um, I've spoken to several film professors in the last, I'd say, year or two who no longer show Citizen Kane. I don't know. Um, wow. And I think they have different reasons. You know, so Some of them are just tired of it. Right. Um, There's lots of things we're tired of. And it goes back to what I was saying, too. Yeah, 15 weeks. I mean, is Citizen Kane that important? I show it every semester as the first film that my students watch. And and we talk about it for four weeks. I bring it in for clips every week for, you know, mise-en-scene, for cinematography, etc. But, you know, for every time you show Citizen Kane, there are a lot of films you're not showing as well. But I agree with you, Nick, completely. Well, you know, Eric, I think the problem there is is a passing of the buck. One professor Mm -hmm. decides not to show it for whatever reason, you know, they they deem is valid. And and Mm -hmm. for what do I know, it may be valid because they think at some point they're going to watch it or if they're a major, they're going to watch it on their own. But that doesn't give them the ability to, you know, to have a discussion about it in class and, and, uh, you know, place into its proper context and so i mean if you graduate from a film program and you haven't watched citizen kane <laughs> I think there's something right. wrong with that yeah yeah no, I, I agree with you completely but um that, that brings something up for me and i'm going to throw this out to you guys i'm just going to kind of fire questions at you guys how's that sound um sure. we'll fire them back good. at you too absolutely yeah yeah no it sounds sounds great because i want to answer them as well but um when it comes to an intro to film class which is the entry-level class that everybody takes you end up with a variety of students. You end up with some film majors most of the time. These are people who want to make films or people who are just really interested in film. Uh, sometimes you have aspiring screenwriters as well. That's, that's a minority of the class. You also get, um, you get some you know, artsy-fartsy writer types. Um, you get some theater types in there. And those are people who are already kind of interested in film. right? Mm-hmm. But the majority of your class in most classes is going to be people who um, are chemistry majors or nursing majors. Uh, they don't really care about film. It was part of uh, a group requirement. I mean, this is why I took film. When I was an undergraduate, I was a French major, and I took a film class because I needed the visual and performing arts requirement, and it sure beat dance or theater. I didn't want to take that, so I was like, oh, I like movies. You know? Seriously. Oh, I think you missed was, your true calling. You there, know? Yeah, absolutely. I could see you pirouetting all around, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. If, if only I'd taken that dance class. Get those tights out. Happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, just think how different my life would be. Um, but, uh, you know, and I fell in love with film in that class. I didn't know how much there was to learn. I didn't know how much there was to love about film. But I think most students are like I was. I think most of the students are like, I need this requirement. I got to take this class. It's better than, I get, I get to watch movies. That's awesome. And it's better than taking dance or whatever. And and I want to convert <laughs> some of those students the way that my professor, Bob Burgoyne, converted me into a into a film person. I know it's not going to be like that for most of them, but but how do you deal with people who are either, like sometimes you guys have both taught production. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of film classes, there's no production. It's all, it's it's treated like a literature class. You're reading the films, you're, you're deconstructing them or whatever, right? That's how I teach. It's how you guys teach intro to film, right? More or less. Yeah. Right. So how do you deal with the students who are aspiring filmmakers 
and also the students who could care less about film and just want to go, you know, take their engineering classes or whatever. How how do you how do you address that range of students? I'll take uh, I'll take this one first. Um, sure. And it's 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 actually I'm very glad that you're mentioning this because um, this is one of the it's becoming one of the most common interview questions in phone and in person interviews for new phone no. professors is how are you willing to teach you know are you willing to teach intro courses and how do you teach intro courses okay um, you know for me it's a matter of you know the students who are uh, who are film people yeah they're going to be you know I, I'm I'm not saying that you don't have to pay attention to them, um, but they're going to be watching. They're going to be seeking out new stuff, and for yeah. them, it's all a matter about make you know seeing what other things, how what other things that they can do um, that can make the class not necessarily boring, but the, the, to to kind of push them. And as far as the other students, whether they're engineering, nursing, I try and find ways in which I link those their majors to something in the class. So for engineering people, people who are in the sciences, I will try and connect things like editing and production and um, and, and things like that. So uh, people in makeup, um, you know, people who are in like theater and, and makeup design, I'll, I'll highlight, I'll highlight that. As a matter of fact, I, I'll, I'll show excerpts from uh, horror films, and and we'll we'll talk about the the quality of the makeup. For some reason, um, it, in a lot of production classes that I've seen, you know, no one talks about makeup for 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 whatever reason. So I I spend hmm. a lot of time talking about um, talking about makeup, and it really gets people interested. So I try and find areas that the people who would not necessarily be film majors would connect and would be very very interested and get excited about it and um, you know when I, I there's this um, clip that I show from the Dark Knight mm-hmm. in which the editing is absolutely terrible I mean the, the the Dark Knight editing was really bad overall but this is a particular clip that where it's just atrocious and they break every rule in the book 180 degree rule and everything and Nolan's you know camera placement is just atrocious and for some reason everybody you know the especially the engineers and the technical minded people when they look at those scenes they really get excited about it because you're you're looking you know and and you you, because you know engineering engineers think very very technically they think visually and when you're looking at that um those those particular scenes they're able to do that so what scene is what scene is it? It's the scene specifically. It's the chase scene where um, Dent is being transferred between city and county, and okay. it's uh, where the where they're they're basically driving in the tunnels, which I believe is um, South Lower Wacker Drive in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh that's yeah, that's where okay. the Dark Knight was filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny enough because it's you know I I'll, occasionally I'll get a film major in the class when I show that and they'll say, you know, is that the same. Um, area where they shot the famous chase scene from the Blues Brothers, and I think it is actually. Huh. Um, okay. So yeah, that's that's the scene, and it's you know it's the, the editing is terrible, but the the technical minded people really uh, really love that, and then you get the artistic minded people and the writer the the, the 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 English majors in the class who will really gravitate when I talk about narrative, and when I talk about Freytag's pyramid. Um, so I try and throw something in there for 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 everybody, and and that's why when I do a survey of the a survey of the class. I'll ask what people's majors are, um, okay. just so I can have an idea of 
you know how to how to bridge those things and connect it for certain people. Oh, that's good. So you try to hook into uh, their their current interests and in, in majors. Okay, that, yeah, that's Absolutely. great. What about you, Nick? What do you have any special thing, or is it? No, it's always been actually a, real, a piece of cake. I don't alter my <laughs> teaching, teaching style at, at all. I just I consider it sort of like it's part of my paycheck every week to try and convert every single student and recruit them into becoming a major or at least minoring in it. So to, you know, to bolster yeah. enrollment and clearly to just um, you know get them enthusiastic and excited about it. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't do a lot of that because I mean, a lot of the first couple of classes is spent on film as, as in its relation as being a nexus discipline, essentially mm-hmm. a discipline that involves and incorporates many other uh, interdisciplinary fields, you know. I mean, it's because film is nothing more than our lives caught and represented back to us, you have basically, you know, uh, everything there. You know, all, all the departments of a university are, are well represented in a film. <laughs> yeah, uh, sociology, fun. yeah, checked. You know, psychology, <laughs> sure, sure, no problem. You know, acting, theater, dance, yep, music, yeah. okay, no problem. Psychology, sure. Uh, uh, architecture, yeah, no problem. Graphic design, you get the idea. Music, I mean, it goes on and on and on. So it's not that hard. I just try and get them excited and see it as, a next, as the nexus discipline that it is and that this can be the course that can open their eyes to a whole new field of cultural studies uh, through the the dominant uh, medium of the 20th century, film and television. So yeah. it's never really all that hard, uh, I think, to um, get them motivated, uh, the civil engineers, you know, no problem. You know, like I've had civil engineers in classes before who, who, you know, uh, I'll talk to them after class and I'll say, Oh, well next week we're watching, you know, this film and you really ought to pay attention to the art direction and that because of the use of city space and so on. So, you know, so there's always, uh, a way to hook, uh, the students into, uh, the, the course if they're not interested. The only students, of course, that are that are going to be difficult to get on the trolley are the ones that don't want to be there, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, of course. The distra- distracted yeah. students or students who would rather be on their cell phones and, and yeah. maintaining their digital other rather than um, going to college, you know, getting out of their university education. Uh, so sure. apart from that, and I still try and reach them as best I can too, but I mean, there are just some times when, you know, people aren't interested. They're not interested. So period. the... So the enthusiasm, you know, I, I mean, that's what it goes back to in a way, right? I mean, yeah. it's it, that bridges a lot of gaps. Um, what about you? In terms of, oh, me, well, I um, I don't, I mean, I, I'm the same as you guys in a way. I, I, what I do in the first day is I ask them, I, I say, how many people have seen a movie in the last week? And, of course, everybody raises their hands, you know, whether in the theater or on cable or, you know, DVD. I say, how many people have seen two movies? Most hands stay up. And I go, five movies. And I keep going, 10, 15. There's always some, somebody who's up like at the 15 level, you know, 20. And, I, and I, I do this little thing. I say, well, look, you, let's say you watch a movie a week. And that's really conservative. And that's about two hours. That's times, we'll, try, we'll multiply it by 50 because I'm not good at math. So make that 100 hours a week, or a year rather, right? And I say, let's say you've been, let's say you're 20 years old and you've been watching movies since you were five. That's 15 mm-hmm. years. That's 1,500 hours. Can someone do the math? Someone mm-hmm. does the math and it ends up being about a month or something like that. Sure. And I say, what if I told you that 
you know, starting today on September 4th, we're going to sit here until October 4th and watch movies straight through mm -hmm. without any breaks. You'd think I was crazy. Mm -hmm. But we do this. We mm -hmm. watch months and months and months worth of movies, you know, because we like them. And it makes sense, doesn't it, to think about how they're made, what they mean, and what they tell us about our own lives. So you, you really attack it from the media literacy standpoint in terms uh, that's of on, pure, pure saturation. Well, that's of, on of day the, one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on day one I do, and I say, you know, it makes sense to, to be literate. You know, this is why this should be important to you on some level. But then, you know, as the semester goes on, when you're talking about editing, it's a very technical thing, right? When you're talking about cinematography, it's a very technical thing. You talk about lenses and filters and, you know, and all that, and that sure. gets the more technical people. And then when you start getting into more uh, critical uh, studies and, and uh, you know, how to read a film and stuff, that gets to the more artsy-fartsy types. And, um, and that's... Great. So I think just by the nature of how we how the class is constructed and how we do film studies, you you you, you get somebody at some point. You know, somebody's yeah, you, interested you at some point. You know, you know, it's, so. I, I was going to add that there's I probably uh, I do two unit an intro to film again trying to speak to as broad an audience as possible. I do two units that I don't know of any other professors that do in their intro to film. I'm sure there are professors out there. I just don't know any personally. I um I actually do. You know, two weeks. I do a week on ownership, and and I do a week on uh, historical representation. Okay. Um, because I figure if it, if this is the only shot I have at that um, at that botany major, you know, and I'm gonna do everything I can to get as much across as possible. Uh, and so I will. <laughs> after all the basics are covered, I like to get into you know. Um, Two real core issues that that you know, uh, sort of like branches from the ideology uh, units, which which are ownership, and you know the 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 modern ownership paradigm. You talk about like media consolidation. Media consolidation, who owns exactly. It, yeah. Who owns yeah. and, right. and and you know, and then we we when we can screen network as uh, <laughs> and we often do, in relationship to that and um, and historical representation, and I typically show glory for that. Um, oh, good. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's two units right there that might be outside a little outside of the box a little bit in intro to mm -hmm. film because um, you know there's only so much time, but I I deem them and have deemed them to be truly important for I think the student who is never going to take another class regarding film. Mm -hmm. That's two things I really want to get across. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I show uh, this film is not yet rated. Um, in order to talk about the, um, you turn the into MPAA. that one, yeah, yeah, yeah and, excellent film, excellent. Yeah, and we talk about the MPAA rating system, and 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 then I make them unpack, or I don't make them, but I ask them to unpack the uh, the biases of of the rating system. And the the movie is, you know, it's entertaining and fun. Uh, it's a little risque, but um, they usually get a lot out of that. And then, but before we do that, I have them read the production code. Yeah, sure. So I, I assign them the production code. We talk about it. We talk about so what are the biases here? Like from what moral kind of um, high ground is this coming? Right? What are the what can we learn about the people who wrote this thing? And then we watch this film is not yet rated, and we talk about okay now what's the moral code? And you know how much more insidious is it when it's not written <laughs> down? <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and then you know think about the fact that a dozen people you know, kind of dictate everything you watch in Hollywood, you yeah, know, and, and, and some of that. So that's one of the things, something that I do that maybe uh, is, is somewhat unique. Unique to uh, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's I think, a really good idea though. I like that. Yeah, yeah it's great. Production code. Because it starts making them think, you know, how, what happens when you live under, you know, for, for 
me, for all for all of us, um, we're young enough that we've lived our entire life under the MPAA code, you know, and it glorifies violence and it, it censors sex. And so what does that mean? Like, uh, why, you know, does that translate into culture in any way? You know, I mean, we've been constantly at war for decades. Is there any connection there? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? You can draw your own conclusions on that. But uh, that brings up another topic for me. Um, so we all have taught in Detroit and, uh, and Dearborn, right? Mm-hmm. And over the years, I have had a lot of students who were um, conservative, religiously conservative, either Christian or Muslim mostly, mm-hmm. um, or who have um, objections to uh, particular things, usually sex, usually not violence. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you guys deal with that? It's been a piece. That's also something that's been a piece of cake. In the very few instances mm-hmm. over the years, uh, depending on the class. I mean, once once we start going up the ladder. I mean, I've taught classes. You know, we've all taught special topics courses. You know, recently, right. like last semester, yeah. documentary and nonfiction. Last year, I did the cult movies class. Of course, there's going to be uh, prurient material. You know, I mean, that is the mm-hmm. bread and butter of the industry, <laughs> sex and violence. Right. So as, as, as all is. of us know, we all have, you know, caveats in our syllabus, our syllabi that simply state, you know, look at, if, if we're going to look at film, we're going to be looking at sex and violence because that's what it is. But um, in the very few instances when uh, somebody had, whether a moral or a religious objection, of course I said, well, you're, you're not required to watch it. I'm not going to say, this isn't Clockwork Orange. Um, you're not, you're not, you don't have to sit here and watch this film if you have an objection to it. You're responsible for it. I need you to you know, look it up and read about it and understand it. But I'm not, you're not required to sit here and watch it. But you're nonetheless responsible for it. And that's my mm. you know. Oh, that's interesting. Chris? I pretty much take the same methodology. I put in, you know, I put the caveat in my, in my syllabus, and um, I haven't uh, really run across that, that as far yeah, as... Yeah, it's rare. Um, it's very oh, rare. The, so the, the rare. Worst, the worst response I ever got was when I used to show an intro... Um, I used to show uh, Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Sure. Which, oh, yeah. oh, I mean, I love the film. It's it's so good. But people it's, bring a lot of personal baggage to that. Film. Oh yeah, it's, it's so brutal to sit through. And, it's it's yeah, brutal. Yeah. To you sit don't want to have them have experience all this anxiety. And I I have, I have had it's people like, yeah. had had to leave, and and I I'd have people. Oh my, you know, my brother died of a drug overdose, and I can't watch this film because it brings back these harrowing memories. I understand. And if you and if you can't do it, you know, no one's forcing you to, but you're you're responsible for it, you know. And and absolutely, and, I'm. And I'm it's not never going been on the level where it's like, you know, if it's a weekly thing, then it's like that's why you have the the caveat in the syllabus, and it's like, well, then drop this course and take it with somebody else. Then of course, yeah, you're gonna have the same problem in their class too, you know. So, right. Yeah, that's usually yeah. my my uh, thing. I give them a little warning. I say you're gonna see there might be things in here you don't you don't want to see like that that might uh, make you uncomfortable. Uh, sex, violence, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I say, well, and yeah, I I basically take a hard line. I say we're all adults. Uh, you've chosen to be here. There are other sections you can take mm-hmm. if you don't like that. You know, I said if you're really sensitive or you have religious objections, then talk to me beforehand, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll give you a warning. 
as to you know which films have what type of content, and we can try to work around that. So kind of the same as you, Nick, I guess. Um, it's just so rare, though. I mean, like it's there, not that rare been, for me. It, real, it happens almost every semester. I am so shocked. I mean, yeah. I've been showing the People versus Larry Flint for ten years. Mm-hmm. And no one's, you know, I mean, and that's a film ostensibly uh, that's about pornography, uh, the window dressing of the film. Of course, we all know that it's more of a film about the First Amendment, the role of satire in mm-hmm. a, a free thinking democracy. But uh, that's the one that almost uh, almost unanimously gets like some of the highest reviews, you know, and it's and it's a film that's, you know, very blatantly about sexuality. Sure, uh, sure. And, yeah. and Larry Flint. Mm-hmm. And so and and. Um, no, over the years, I mean, there's just been a couple of moments here and there where people either had extreme anxiety from the film or, you know, in history of film classes, sometimes we watch, we'll do a, a, a unit on, on the splintering, you know, the, 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 the vertical integration, the paramount decision, the splintering, the divorce decrees, and we talk about how there's a whole... The, the gave birth to the exploitation films, which gave birth to the, the nudist films, which gave birth right. to the nudie cuties, which gave birth to the mm-hmm. roughies, which gave birth to legitimization of pornography in the early 1970s. So that's another history we take. And, you know, I have had a couple of religious, that particular week, people have had religious objections. And I said, no problem. I'm going to force you to watch this. But you're, you're, you're responsible for it. You know, it, it, you'll be tested yeah. on it. Your knowledge will be tested on it. But, you know, no one's going to force you to sit here and watch this. That's interesting that you've had that uh, so frequently, Eric. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, like I'm like surprised. like you, Nick. I I mean, I've sh- and I've showed. Um, I've also showed People versus Larry Flint. I've showed um, clips from Short Bus. Uh, I've showed Spike Lee's yeah, Bamboozled. Frederick Wiseman, for Christ's sake. I've showed you know? yeah, <laughs> lots, of, lots of stuff that you know uh, you know. Uh, pretty much yeah, everything I should you can say, imagine. Though, it's like you guys are listing off a lot of things, but I'm not talking about in response to anything in particular. I'll, I'm talking about students who come to me on day one and say, my religion prohibits me oh. from thinking about oh, sex. Oh, that's a whole not- yeah, then, then yeah, I'm not yeah, talking about different conversation. Yeah. Fact. I'm talking about students who come up and say, because that my still religion, never happens, I can't see sex. I'm like, well, how about violence? Oh, no, violence is fine. My, my oh. religion <laughs> doesn't, doesn't prohibit violence, just sex. And then... That's that's what I'm talking about, and I have that happen at least once a year. No, no. yeah, at least once I've a year, sometimes more. Really, I've never had a student mm. come up to I've me and say that. I've never had a student ever come up to me once and say I've got a problem with it's. It's like I just said, it was in the middle of a semester or something, and and uh, right, you know, on I've one had, week, you know. Yeah, I've had people uncomfortable about particular things that I've shown. You know, sure. um, I show. Um, sometimes the, that's the response that the filmmaker wants. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Like I show the kids. The kids are all right, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll get um, ideological, uh, you know, opposition to that. You know, because it's about a gay couple. You know, things like that. Um, but that's fine. I can handle that. But yeah, sometimes a lot of people just kind of say at the beginning of the semester. You well, know, dude, I can't see Eric, this. I can think of one example. And this was years ago when you were standing right there, but this was years ago, and it wasn't an objection. But remember, remember we were te- when you were teaching uh, intro to film on the second floor, and I was teaching intro to film on the fifth floor, probably like 2007. Mm-hmm. And I was showing Cabaret, and a student came out, and he was like, "So what's up with this film? Like he's having sex with her, and he's having sex with <laughs> yeah, him, I this, and yeah. I don't." And it's like, what's going? And I'm like, dude, it's Berlin in the 20s. I mean, didn't, didn't you? I mean, well, it's actually in the the late 20s, early 30s. I'm like, didn't you? Didn't you pay attention to any of the lecture? And he's like, 
what kind of a crazy film is this? <laughs> and, and remember I said, well, I don't know, it won eight Academy Awards. <laughs> it's about as mainstream as you can get. It's cabaret. <laughs> um, funny. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that it is, lost to was, was Best Picture for Godfather. But remember he was... He was like, what's going on with this crazy Berlin? And it's like, what's well, called history, you know? <laughs> That's um, he didn't have an objection to it, but remember he was like bewildered at the sexuality. Yeah. There's like bisexual yeah. people in this city. <laughs> I can see, like, I can understand that response. Not that, maybe not that, but, um, you know, I remember in grad school watching Cronenberg's uh, Crash. Oh, God. You oh, know, who and, showed like, that? You're, uh, but, <laughs> I'm not gonna. It doesn't matter who showed it. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that we saw it in a, gra- in a, in a graduate class. Oh, I don't mean very, in a negative way. I mean, and, but that's a. Whew. But it was. It's interesting because you're in a you're in a room full of people that are acquaintances at best, usually, right? Strangers mostly, and you haven't chosen this film, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna sit and watch this. I can I can understand the discomfort that that might. That might bring right if you're in oh a classroom God, yeah. setting, you know. Because I remember thinking that, looking around at one point, going, "Wow, we're all watching this together." We don't, you know. But whatever, you know, we're all adults. Who cares? <laughs> That's basically my bottom line. I would say um, that just in terms of pure visceral response, there's almost always. Let me see. I would say probably last after showing. Um, Titty Cut Follies, you know, I mean, I've shown mm-hmm. that a few times. That's one that's pretty hardcore. And believe it or not, The Fly, uh, Cron- oh. another Cronenberg film, yeah. right? You know, so it's like w- people have a real sort of like abject response to The Fly. Uh, and, of course, they did when I saw it in 86, the summer of 86. People were just mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we all – but, I mean, that's the, the primacy and the sort of like the, the, the beauty of that particular film is it gets to the heart of that in a way that few other films ever do. I mean, the very question of what it means to be human. And right, to have sure. our bodies betray us mm-hmm. is absolutely at the center of that film, and like no other film really gets to it quite like The Fly, and that's why it it always engenders such a visceral response from the yeah. audiences as he's yeah. falling apart, you know. Yeah, this um, I usually get a response like that to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was, I, oh no, no, I, no, go, go, go. Similar response I get to um, the ice, the ice slitting scene in uh, Unshian Andalu. Oh, sure. true. That yeah, always yeah. that that one that one that one cracks me up. Yeah, it's funny because I always one. rewind that you know afterwards and show it to him again just to show the beauty of the parallel cut between the moon. That's and, great. Yeah, the moon and the. <laughs> oh, the eye. Oh, it's great. It's, yeah, it's when we had I missed that, on, that the first time. You know? When we had that on 16 millimeter, that part of the film was almost worn out because people had been doing that for so long on that 16 mil print we had yeah. <laughs> just that eye part it would, it would start stuttering right there because people would play that over and over it's, yeah we should a classic scene yeah we'll put a link to that on the show notes because uh, it's worth it's worth seeing for people who haven't um i mean salvador dali right um that might lead into something else another um kind of this is more of a comment than a question i think that um in terms of uh teaching film i think one of our jobs is to move help students move from their default position of evaluation, this movie sucked, this movie was great, right? Um, Into something more critical, into some kind of analysis, or at the very least, some kind of historical understanding of it, right? And um, I don't know how you guys do that. I do it through my... um, I've been doing it for a couple years now, several years now, actually, through my assignment structure. I, um, I have them read a bunch of film reviews mm-hmm. for their first assignment and then critique those film reviews to talk about what makes a good film review and what makes a, 
not so good film review. And then their second assignment is to write their own film review. Right, and um, that's an assignment that I've gotten from you, Eric, and used mm-hmm. in the past. Yes, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so then they get to get, and then when they're done with that, I tell them, okay, now you've gotten that out of your system. <laughs> now we're doing analysis. Right. And then from here on out, because like the, the review assignment helps them think about um, audience. It helps them think about um, describing or explaining why how they've responded to something in a certain way. It makes them, you know, kind of responsible for that. But then I say, okay, from here on out, evaluative judgments, anything good, bad, great, terrible are are forbidden <laughs> when we talk yeah. about film from now on it's about you know for a minute we can talk about that gut reaction but for now on it's like why did the filmmaker choose this how did they do that how does this affect you know that sort of thing sure, sure. and it, it's worked out pretty well yeah. um, I, I mean it works out pretty well because it, it brings them through a channel where they can express themselves in different uh, in different ways ways that they may be more or less comfortable with and then Throughout the rest of the semester, it's all about, you know, how do you analyze a film? How do you do a critique? And it's worked out pretty well for me. That's a great, that's a really great idea. Yes, and I've operationalized that too, Eric, as you know. And, uh, but, you know, um, at, at the cost of the shop breakdown. So typically, so yeah. I'll be, you know, it was, a, it was a good holiday, but like it's back to the shop breakdown in the fall uh, for the three sections that I have. Because, I mean, to answer your question, um, you know, I, I, I again, it has to go to the first day lecture where it's all about. You know, we all have opinions. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's that's you know, but the, leave that to the you know, the critic and the reviewer. That's their job is to is to dispense their opinions based upon some sort of criteria, which is often, you know, sort of like guided by their own tastes and some whatever education they may have mm-hmm. in the field. I said, but that's that's of no interest to us. Well, how much you like or dislike a film is is not at all related to what you can learn from it in this course. So, you know, I tell them just to check check their opinions at the door and look <laughs> at these films actively and critically, um, in direct relation to the lectures and in the readings, of course. I mean, that's the only way they're going to really get yeah, into right, out of, of it. Yeah. Is you know, and uh, and, and I also tell them that it's entirely possible you may dislike most of the films we like this semester, but that's really entirely irrelevant. You know, you don't look at that theorem and go, I don't particularly care for that theorem, or I don't particularly care for the Civil American Civil War, or I don't care for right. go on and on with this analogy. The point is, is like it's not there to be liked or disliked. This is a class. You're here to learn something. So, <laughs> you know, it's like an, yeah. it's not about you. You know, you, you don't walk into your lit class and boy, boy. That Shakespeare really stinks. It's like no, I mean that's irrelevant <laughs> to whether you like them or yeah. not. You need to read them. So yeah. that's and then of course when we dig right into the shop breakdown, which I will stress, listeners and if there's any students out there listening, is probably the single greatest assignment any film professor can ever have their students do is the analysis, the formal analysis of the mise en scène, the the uh, the lighting, the camera angle. The editorial logic and the basic description of the scene, uh, of the shot in with that resides within a sequence of a film of your choosing. Uh, typically, anywhere from eight to fifteen shots, depending on how large your class is. You can you can double that if you want, but it, it you know you they are basically engaging in rudimentary semiotic analysis and. It's it's without doubt the single most powerful tool I have. Yeah, I've found that uh, when I when I do the shot breakdown, which I which I almost always do, I find that that part of the semester, first of all, it's 
terrible to grade. They're so hard to grade. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And they're so hard to explain to the students, who, oh, yeah. many, most of whom don't understand editing at that point. But I found that that, that part of the semester, once they've done that mm-hmm. and they've complained about it a little bit, but once they've done it, all of a sudden they start seeing things oh boy, do they that ever. they weren't seeing before because they clicks. had to sit there and do that. It clicks. And I found that's around about... Come in and say, I was watching a commercial last night and I was mm-hmm. applying the principles of the shop breakdown. Yeah. To yeah, the greatest compliment to me is when a student says, you've ruined movies for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> they, they usually mean it in a good way. Right? Oh yeah. And then, yeah. and then I usually counter with, no, I've just broadened their inherent pleasures. <laughs> Absolutely. The, I mean, the yeah. shop breakdown, I, I, I use it uh, as well every single semester. And um, I mean, I'm just going to echo exactly what you guys said. It, it's the point where, where, where things click. And then, you know, like you said, when they start applying it to other media, when they start applying it to commercials and television mm-hmm. shows yeah. um, and web webisodes and, and, and stuff like that, that's when it's um, it's really fun yeah. to um, – to see how their their development uh, goes with yeah. understanding, but the shop breakdown is just invaluable. But you're right; it's a it's a pain in the ass to grade, uh, and um, I just uh, you know. Yeah, it's it is. It's a pain but in the butt. But it's it's worth it, you know. And I think going along with that as well, it helps. It gives them tools to talk about film. It gives them tools of analysis. But I feel like that whole ruining film thing. I think that is a sign too of they're changing tastes. The more you learn about film, the more your tastes change. The more open-minded you are and and the more likely you are to not like something as well. You know, you don't have to like whatever's in front of you, you know. And and I think that I, you know, as I learn more about film and I think as my students do, they become more critical of certain things and more open to others most of the time, not always obviously. So I had a student once who she was actually a neighbor of mine as well when I lived in Detroit, and she was um, she took my class, you know, for the same reason anybody takes a film class. She didn't know I was teaching it though, but um, she made her roommate take it after it because she said that she was driving her roommates crazy, uh-huh. talking about oh, did you see sure. that shot? Oh, check out the editing. They, they, they drove her. They drove. She drove her roommate so crazy that she made them take a film class so they could talk to her. she could. They could talk to her about film. That's funny. So. <laughs> that is funny. Well, the, the, great. the greatest compliment I ever got was uh, my first first semester teaching intro to film when I had a student come near the end of the semester, and um, she told me point blank, she was a nursing student, and she told me she didn't want to take the class. She had zero interest in film mm-hmm. uh, when she started, but then by that point, you know, about halfway through the semester, she actually had went out and bought Citizen Kane mm-hmm. and nice. made her whole family sit down and watch it. Sure. And um, nice. that was yeah. That was that. At that point, it was like okay, this is this is definitely what I want to what I what I want to do. Isn't um, that amazing? Oh, it's the greatest compliment yeah. in the world. Nothing. And no, then they no disowned her. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, no amount of money can uh, can take the place of a feeling like that. Right, but but it'd be nice to get paid more though. Uh, well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that said, right, it's another discussion no, but, for another day. That's, yeah, it's another discussion for another day. I want to. I know we're we're probably running short on time. I want to address one thing that I that I, I would feel very remiss if I didn't address because we we solicited comments on the Facebook page. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. And there was like one that was I think directly related, which is um very uh. Is my friend Mark. Mark. Yeah. It's very like kind of nuts and boltsy, but it's something that I, you have to address with students and, and in our own lives, which is taking notes mm-hmm. during a film. 
how do you guys do it? What do, what do you tell your students to do? And what do you do when you when you watch a film? I, I have a very specific answer to this, but what Me do you guys too. do? I mean, I think your answer is the same as mine. Probably. In the semester, I tell them, you know, uh, you don't know what to take notes on yet. So, right. you need, so you need to just take notes on anything that strikes you as unique or interesting, right? Whatever it is that is speaking to you about today's screening, for example, whatever the first film you happen to show is, Write it down. But I said, you know, frankly, I haven't done the reading yet. We haven't done any lectures. <laughs> you don't know what to take notes on. Right. But you'll, you'll gather this skill as you go. And How about you, Chris? You know. uh, same thing. Um, same thing. I just tell them, write down things that are striking. Um, yep. Right, you know, for, for me, myself, personally, I actually have a film notebook um, or one of several. It's, it's in volumes now, but uh, and I literally just I I take I take notes on every single thing I watch um, for whatever for whatever reason. Um, mm. But I I tell my students to um, you know that 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 their note taking will become more sophisticated. And I've I've actually run into students from from past semesters, and they've said that they pretty much got to the point where whenever they go to the movies, they they take a notebook uh, with them mm. um, so that they can write. And uh, I love to hear that because that's that's exactly what I do, and um, that's what they need to do. You know, Eric, I'm assuming you, you you have the same principle. It's a question of you know you guys will get better as this as the semester goes on. Sure, kind sure, of, kind of. I'm a little eccentric, I think, um, compared to you guys. Um, when it comes to my classes, yeah, I tell them you don't know what to take notes on, so don't worry about it. Um, but the other thing, uh, you know, to me, it's personally and in class, it's it's a balancing act because. When I watch a film personally, I never take notes the first time. Neither do I. I go straight for immersion. I want to be mm-hmm. immersed. I want to. I want to have it wash over me. I want to see what they're doing. And I want to do it without having to think about taking notes. Yeah. Now I'll often take notes immediately afterwards. Right. Right. And I tell them, I said, ideally, what will ha- would happen is you would sit here, you'd be immersed in the film. It's the first time you've seen it. And then you would watch it again. And then sure. in the second viewing, you would take notes. Now, I know that that's not going to happen. I know that, the, you know, you're not going to watch the film again before we meet next week, you know, because you're busy. <laughs> you, know, you have things to do. I'm not going to watch it either, except in my other classes, you know. And so for me, I don't take notes until the second or third viewing, second usually. Um, and then, like, there's also the mechanics of taking notes. You know, I don't know about you guys. My my notes are always like uh, diagonal because I don't look down at my paper. You know, well, and sure, as, as yeah. I write over college, other yeah, things. In grad right? school, it was that right. you know because yeah. of poor writing, they were always sort of like yeah. you know messy. Yeah. But for writing the book and stuff like that, it's so true. It's multiple. Yeah, I'll take notes, careful notes on yeah. the second viewing, but the first viewing is for immersion. And how many times have we all collectively watched Citizen Kane? Oh I've I've seen it, you know, on order of I don't know, sixty to eighty times. Oh, Eric, yeah. probably the same with you, Certainly, Chris. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? I am still finding stuff Me that too. I've never seen before. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Every semester. Absolutely, there's yeah. something new that comes. Unbelievable. In the, game. the amount of of uh, you know. Uh, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and, there was I, just, I am, and I'm always amazed at it. It happens almost every semester, and I'm, I'm amazed every time. I'm like, why did I never notice that? Noticed before? that before, and it's you know the, I bring that up because it goes to your point of multiple viewings, multiple you know no, oh, sure. it's like, yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. like you you can never watch a film that many times. You'll always you're always going to be finding something new and you, unique about yeah. the great ones, you know. Yeah, it's hard to take notes in real time though. I'm sorry, Chris, we keep cutting no, you off. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say that there was this there was this new book that was published. Um, my lunches with Orson, which are um, basically transcripts of 
lunches um, with Orson Welles. I forget the the, the author's name, um, but I just recently picked it up, and uh, I will probably be watching, um, you know, Citizen uh, Kane amongst some other things well, after weird. Who, after who reading that? it. You don't know. Who um, did it. I forget. I I heard that the the author on uh, on NPR. Yeah, the, the, I know about this it's too. Just, yeah. It's That's just bizarre, the name is escaping I mean, Bogdanovich me. did the sort of real you know transcript book with this is Orson Welles, which was all those taped recordings over all those years. So it's it's interesting that someone else is taking the same approach, which is transcripts of their lunches together? It's... Yeah, it's... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Henry Jaglum, who was a, a, fr- a friend of, uh, of Orson Welles. Okay. Um, so that's... We could we could put a, a link to it. I just yeah, exactly, yeah, I literally yeah. just got it. And uh, I'm going to read it and then, of course, watch watch Kane. You know, and, you know there is the something now that we're talking about it that uh, I have to, to talk about. Um, and it would be my, my direct address to anybody listening who's a, a film student or a former student of mine or a current student or, you know, student whatsoever. And that is um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a paradox, I think, that exists today that um, is unfortunate um, because when I'm 43 and when I was you know, 18 and in college, it wasn't always so easy to go watch a film. Um, right. A lot of films weren't uh, weren't didn't hadn't been put out on VHS yet, right, right. Um, and you know you had to go rent them. Obviously, um, you know this would be in the late '80s, so of course there was you know there were video stores, but I mean it was just not that easy. You had to you had to go rent it. The odds are that they didn't have it, or it might have been checked out, and you'd have to you know then you'd maybe track down your library or something. It just wasn't always that easy, and there was a lot less to choose from. Yeah. Today, however, there's an unprecedented amount of streaming media out there, and yet I still see kind of a, a, a vacuum of knowledge among film majors as they're progressing through the program. They're not, I think, watching as much of the field as I'd like to see them do. Now, I'm not saying that they should aspire to do as much as I did, you know, which was kind of insane, but <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, you know, by the same token, which is I'd, I'd like to see film students, you know, if you're, if, as I said earlier, if you're a chemist, you, you need to know chemistry, you know, if, if you're a Civil War historian, you know what, you need to know the Civil War. You know, if, if, if you're a writer, you, you know, you need to know vocabulary and grammar. And, you know, if you're a mechanic and so, you know, we can go on and on with this. The point is, whatever it is you're going to be, you need to know your field. So don't let your tastes be your, you know, uh, your sale. You know, don't, don't set your mask to what it is you like and you don't like and then just watch. No. Absorb the whole damn thing, you know, from from the Edison and, and Lumiere shorts in the 1890s all the way up to whatever's in the theater today. It's it's your playground. You should go on all the rides. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice. And way you're of talking, saying it. yeah. And you're talking about majors in particular, people. In who particular, are I'm talking about majors. Uh, absolutely, people who care about film. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, at the very least, you can't watch everything, obviously, but at the very least, you need to. I have seen representative pieces of, you know, every historical period or genre right. that, that you, you can. You just don't want to graduate you know. and say, I never saw a John Ford film, or I never saw right. a John Houston film, mm-hmm. or I, yeah. I never, you know. And, and, and you're not going to get that in classes. You're going to get a lot of that in classes, but a lot of it is is the the natural curiosity that should come from that. 
right to seek it out because like you said it's 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 a trivial thing to be able to watch a john ford film right now or whatever you can find anything right now right yeah i agree with you completely. it is a really trivial yeah. thing and yet you know i mean and i've gotten this from students in the past i'm i'm speaking from office hours where students have said to me you know my my knowledge of pre-1990 cinema is really poor Mm-hmm. And I'd say, well, let's do something about that. You right, need to yeah. start, wa- in a, you know, it's a real simple. Start watching. Films. <laughs> 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 get my RX pad out. It's like, you know, watch films pre-1990. I've actually done that, though. I've actually made lists where, you know, if I'm talking about something in class, and um, oh sure, I think we've all know, sent out the uh, emails with the lists. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes you it's like things you don't the, you don't even you expect. Like yeah. You know, I've had students come up. I was talking about the musical, and I I had students come up and say, "I've never seen a Bollywood film." Mm-hmm. I mean, I I kind of know what it is, but yeah. I've never actually seen a <laughs> Bollywood film. And, oh, they're wonderful. They're absolutely. I mean, they're long, but they're they're absolutely wonderful. So I said, hey, that's okay, just well, that's just do, like do, your do, opinion, do, do, do. man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're very stylized, of course. Yeah, what's with this bad editing in, uh, in, you know, in bad... Oh, it seems like someone's guilty of some value judgment over there. <laughs> that's just like your opinion. No, man. Yeah, I, no, no, yeah, no, but that's no. true. But you I mean, have to have seen them, right? I mean, yeah, you know, sure. for me to tell you that I don't like Bollywood, I have to have seen some Bollywood. Sure. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that, kind of assumed. Know? Yeah. But you can't say, oh, I don't like this. I don't, you don't ever watch it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's uh, if you're a film major. And, you know, if you're if if you're not, you're not. You know, but I agree with you, Nick. I agree with both of you. But yeah, I've done that too, where I'm like, if you like this film, you might like these films. Or if you want to know more about this tradition, here here are some other films you might watch in this. Well, tradition, you know what you know? the beauty of that is is very often you, you know, and 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 Chris was just talking about this. Uh, you screen a film in class, and students come up to you afterwards and they say, I loved that. What you know. What else can I see that's similar to that? Or would you send me an email of, of links to films that are, you know, from the same director or what? Blah blah blah. blah. And it's like, you know, there's a natural curiosity about that. But I'm just speaking to, in, in you know, to a sort of like on, on the more macro level that just, oh, yeah. you know, you should really sort of immerse yourself in whatever field it is. And if it's films, you should mm-hmm. watch a lot of films. You know? Yeah, I mean, you don't ever see a history major who's like, yeah, you know, I didn't really learn much about World War One because I'm not really interested in that, you know, <laughs> right, you know, or whatever. It was kind of a, it was kind of boring. Right, you know, it's like, yeah, oh, you I, know. I didn't watch those Preston Sturges films. I, you know, that whole noir thing. Thing, kind of, you know, you, you can't do that. It's like yeah. that's a big, and you know, and I've seen in graduate school. I mean, I saw people, you know, at conferences or people I knew who just weren't interested in stuff and therefore didn't didn't study it. You know, yeah. It well, be a, yeah, I mean, you know, well, I, I can tell. I mean, if like if you're talking about like our our film major students, you know, I mean, if they're depending on how old they are, they might not have had a chance yet, you know, but, but yeah, you're right. You know, you have to at least know that stuff, but you know, I have, oh, yeah. I have huge holes in my film knowledge. There's a lot of, there's stuff I still need to watch that I haven't watched. You yeah. Know? But I mean, we're all well-rounded, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the whole point yeah. of the PhD yeah. is we have an expertise yeah, as, so. as well as we're well, well-rounded at yeah. level of expertise in general. Can um, I say one quick thing here? Yeah. Um, uh, while we were doing the podcast, our future guest, Bob Burgoyne, <laughs> I just got the email to Dr. Robert Burgoyne. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't get the email, but my Stephanie Powers, <laughs> eight by ten, my Stephanie Powers uh, picture that I framed, an autograph that I mentioned at the top of the show at the head, 
uh, Bob just point just commented on Facebook. Good choice. So that is, it's like Bob Burgoyne approved now so. of your Facebook thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think hilarious. he probably had a, a crush on the girl from Uncle. You know. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Um, well, this is going to be a nice long podcast because we've got uh, a pretty long segment <laughs> too as well, where 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 Nick and I engage in forty-five minutes of value judgments. That's so, right. Um, <laughs> Consider them informed. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> or we do exactly what we've told our students not to do for 40 minutes. But, um, yeah, this has been a great... But we have letters guess. behind our names, so we're allowed to. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, I, I think we should definitely do a... Uh, part two? Part two of this yeah. at some point. Oh, maybe, absolutely. Uh, maybe yeah. between semesters. Uh, maybe based on some feedback that we get. I would love to hear from other educators. I would love to hear from uh, potential students, former students, current students, uh, people who are thinking about film school. And tell us what we missed, because I know we missed some stuff, you know. Um, which, good. <laughs> You know, we could do a part two and a part three. I could talk about this all day. I know you guys could too, for Same sure. Same right? here. Please, yeah. please give us feedback. Give us feedback. We want to hear it. Yeah, hit us up at that's a rap show.com or on the Facebook page. Um, and you can communicate with each of us individually. Um, our contact information is on the site as well. So Twitter, email, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, this has been a great discussion, guys, I think. A lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Fun. As, as always. Now we're going to, uh, Nick and I are going to discuss Man of Steel because, as you might recall, a few weeks ago I had some uh, some rather negative things to say about the film. And Nick just saw it recently and apparently disagrees with me. So, um, so Nick, I'm going I'm to let you bring your case because I, uh, I've made mine already. <laughs> But have you? That's the thing. You and I haven't talked about this. So but, your your case was just a, a statement of disdain for it. But I don't that's know. That's true. Yeah. I don't know, and the listeners don't know exactly yeah. what it was that put a bee in your bonnet about it. I find sure. that there are some problems with it. But sure, I can. So you want me to say basically what I liked about it? <laughs> I was putting you on the hot seat, but I can I can tell you what I didn't if you want. Or we can, no, no, no. We can that's do some. <laughs> I, I will lay the groundwork. I will begin. Right. I will. Sounds I will good. do what I can. I will start by saying that for me, um, and I. I may have said. I mean, I've said this so many times in conversations. I can't recall whether I've said it on the podcast or not. For me, the gold standard in cinematic adaptation still remains um, the Mario Puzo sort of Tom Mankiewicz polished screenplay of the first Superman, Richard Donner's Superman from '78. Um, I consider that to be like the perfect tone for a comic book adaptation and bringing a comic book to life on the screen that has yet, in my estimation, to be rivaled. Um, equaled is definitely, we can argue about that. There are certain you know, comic book films over the past 20 years that have, many would say, have equaled. Uh, but for me, I don't know if anything's rivaled it yet. So I hold Superman in a really... You know, I'm pretty protective of it, and I think it's kind of an, a, a, it's a very American, uh, as Christopher Reeve once said, he, he considered himself sort of like the um, custodian of a very important American icon. And, and I kind of hold to that as well, that it is an important icon and should not be taken lightly, you know, because Superman has a lot embedded in his, 
you know, in, in the simple iconography of it. So you don't want to be too flippant with the character or take him into strange places that may seem wrong, uh, sort of just intuitively wrong. Like we all know the character and we'd be like, he would never do that, you know? Um, so I, I say, having said all that, I thought Zack Snyder's reboot hit a lot of the right notes. Uh, and it definitely hit a few sour ones. For me, it was a film that sort of got all the quiet moments really right. Um, and I loved the fact that as a reboot, it it severed its ties from from the original Superman in a like really clear, definable, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reverent way. Uh, unlike, say, the Star Trek franchise, which I think is rebooted in not so clean and reverent a way, I think this one gave us the you know the the origin story fleshed out in more detail and unconventional at the same time. We start on Krypton. Um, the let me just say that I think the set design and the overall aesthetics of Krypton were mind blowing. I thought it was just phenomenal. It was something out of a Fritz Lang film. It was so sort of grandiose. and Or, or a Lenny Riefenstahl film. You know, I mean, the way they had Krypton set up was incredible. I loved this concept of no natural childbirth going on. You know, that we had these sort of fetuses under the water that were being, you know, you know sort of genetically coded to be, uh, you know, a garbage collector, a milkman, a politician. It was, you were just coded, your DNA was coded to be a certain thing. And then I, lo- I thought Russell Crowe was really in true form. It seems like most of the reviews I read all agreed that Russell Crowe was in very good form. Yeah. You know, a return to wonderful form for Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was handled beautifully. I thought once we, and once we get to Earth, it's like, it's not Smallville. It's not Kansas. It's he's on a barge out in the middle of you know an ocean, and I'm like, that's that's clever. That's turning it 180 degrees, right? He's on his sort of identity quest, which is fantastic. And then we get these awesome, peppered flashbacks throughout the first half of the film, of him as a kid and of him as a teenager and an adolescent, and we get this really beautifully fleshed out, you know, Paul Kent story where Kevin Costner also in really strong form too and I, I'll just pause a moment to say that I thought that um, you know he's filling Glenn Ford's shoes okay listeners Glenn Ford you, you don't just <laughs> step into Glenn Ford's shoes and yet Costner really does a great job in fact I'd go so far as to say I've heard people complain that they didn't like the way that you know, uh, Paul Kent is killed, um, that he dies, I should say. And I thought to myself, really, you know, in the original Superman, Glenn Ford sort of like ambling back up towards, you know, the farm and just, you know, seizes his arm and has a heart attack and dies. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very low trumpet, very low fanfare, very realistic in a sense. He just kind of goes, oh no, and he's dead. And then we cut to young Clark who, um, you know, he's in shock. And then, of course, the funeral, and then he goes to the Fortress of Solitude and so on and so forth. You know, from a screenwriting standpoint, Eric, what they did in Man of Steel from a story standpoint was much more compelling. And I thought, you know, I heard people complain about it. Look, he's not going to save his dad. And I thought, no, you know, 
try try doing this from the screenwriter's perspective. How do we do something different? Well, and how do we make it more dramatic and compelling? Well, by God, by having him put his arm up as a tornado is about to pull him away and say, don't save me. I don't want you to reveal yourself and your powers just yet. You can't get much more dramatic than that. I agree you can't get much more dramatic than that, but I find it incredibly unbelievable that he wouldn't have kind of well I should let you go I should let you I should let you well, because I, I have a lot of things to say already the context of that he had already you know? stated that the yeah. world is not ready for him yeah. and he was willing to yeah. sacrifice himself because he believed in that so strongly and after he's through telling the story Clark is he looks to Lois and says my father sacrificed himself for this and mm -hmm. I have I have to believe in this and of course this this ties into concepts of identity and nationalism and alienation and you know and 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 immigration and all sorts of political you know valences that are that are you can find throughout the film you know in very explicit ways but uh, I found it very believable in the sense that I believe that there's a dude that can shoot lasers out of his eyes at the same time. So okay. <laughs> so I mean, if I'm going to go in all all in on that with my chips, I would think that him making that sacrifice was a really compelling moment, and he it was more or less a question of obedience. He was he was he was respecting his father's wish, and. That's not, and, and so it was a very difficult choice to make. I mean, Superman's largely a, a franchise about choices and choices mm -hmm. we make and stuff like that. So, um, uh, now on the minus side, okay, I am, yeah. Uh, and and by the way, I just want to say I thought the casting in general was fantastic. It sure. kind of it kind of yeah. hurt to see someone I had such a major and still have a major crush on, Diane Lane, see see them age her into well into her sixties and Yeah, and, right. Uh because I I just you know, I've had a thing for her since I saw the outsiders when I was thirteen. Um but uh on the negative side, I thought that this guy Michael Shannon, who I'm not all that familiar with, was really sort of miscast as as Zod. Um and was really getting into some overacting there. And the last third of the film, if we can call it the last third, seems to be more like longer than that, like 50 minutes. Um, sure, I mean, there's most super superhero films sort of degenerate into big, long slugfests in the third act. We, we're yeah. aware of that. But, wow, this one just seemed even more over the top, you know, like massive mm. destruction and massive punching. And it was like, man, I, I've had enough. Um, but uh, that's my general. We can get into more specific nuances. Sure. Uh, but that's my general defense of the film. Okay. Well, yeah, no, that's 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 well well put. Um, but I but I but I have to disagree with you on on some of it. Well, I'll tell you what I agree with you about the the beginning of the film. Uh, that all takes place on Krypton. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Thought it was mm -hmm. great. It was real nice. I liked the concept. I liked the the cinematography was nice. I liked the drama there. It was really well done. I thought um, it wasn't too long. It was enough to set it up and really get you into it. You know, I really thought that was that was good. And we got that in ways that perhaps we didn't get in in other Superman films. Right. Um, the first parts on Earth, I, I agree with you, were great. I like him on that that barge or whatever he's on when he when he saves that person. He's trying to be anonymous and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was good. I thought the scenes of his childhood were done really well. Yeah. Where he, you know, he's like really confused at school because he can see through people and stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought that was done really well. Um, 
for the most part. So I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is I liked maybe the first half hour of the film, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, but as far as screenwriting, I, I do have to disagree with you. I think in particular that moment with his dad, I understand from the dad's point of view, he well, he doesn't think the world's ready for you know, Superman. He's going to sacrifice himself. But from Clark Kent's point of view, I don't, I don't see him doing that, you know, it's just, and then, and then afterwards it's not really like mom's not mad about it. There's never any falling out. Everything's cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. You let dad die in a tornado. It's, you know, whatever. It just, it just is very, it was just very unbelievable from a character standpoint. And, and really like, just, I thought it might've been the cinematography as well. The way Kevin Costner is like looking at him and shaking his head and, and, and this like, he's sitting there and he has the power to save him and he decides not to. But in 15 minutes or so, maybe 20 minutes when the, when the, the, the Krypton people are coming, all of a sudden he's all over the place. Cameras everywhere. Like that conflict of, Oh, should I be public or not is completely gone. Well, him, he does. I know. mean, he does go to a priest to talk about whether or not he should, what he should do. I mean, it's right. not like he suddenly doesn't save his father and then mm-hmm. is like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Superman." Right. Um, and we don't know, frankly, how how you know Ma Kent reacts because we're just not shown. He stops the story, the flashback right. there. Yeah, um, which is a flaw, I think. And if you're going to do all that, isn't that if you're trying to build up the family mythology, I think you would want that, right? Uh, in in lieu of maybe like you said like 50 minutes of action movies or action sequences but i think but it goes deeper than that though i don't want i don't want to dwell on the father cuz it is i i thought it was cheesy you didn't that's fine well let but, me let me let me uh, uh-huh. let me say one more thing though eric and that yeah. is is i had the same reaction you did when i when it happened and i and i kept and actually i was waiting for clark to be like you know screw this i'm saving <laughs> right and, and then and for about two or three minutes i was upset and taken out of the film because uh, mm-hmm. i like i didn't i didn't think it was believable and right then i thought well suppose i had been hired to write the screenplay mm-hmm. suppose this is what i came up with to be a more compelling and sacrificial and obedient sort of like display of the dynamics between father and son here. Mm-hmm, right. And I thought, you know what? I would defend what I had written by saying he loves his father that much that he's going to obey him, even though he every fiber of him says to do otherwise. Right. And so his father sort of martyrs himself. And I, I thought in an ultimate sacrifice. And I thought it's better. You know what? It, it It's a hell of a lot more compelling and got a much bigger rise out of me than when Glenn Ford died. And okay. I thought, you know, at least it's something provocative and different. And I defend it yeah. from that standpoint. Well, I, f- I think I have, I think there are two things I can say about that. And one has to do with the comparison to the original Superman. And one has to do with this movie's attitude towards just letting people die. Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, this thing's got a huge body count. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and, which, well, yeah. Especially as that machine's doing the gravity yeah. stuff. People are just dying left and right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. The, the, yeah, the body count is just absolutely horrendous in this film, which which I don't think is consistent with with what we know of Superman from the comics and from the former movies. But but going back to that, comparing to the other movies, it's really hard because a movie like this it it, it comes up against a lot of different expectations. The most obvious expectation is the Donner movies, the Christopher Reeve movies, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's completely fair to compare it i think you know we it's those those movies are cultural icons uh i think even like people of our generation of course grew up with them i think that younger people still 
probably know those movies, I think, yeah. or are at least aware of them. I think it's completely fair uh, to make that comparison um, while recognizing that, of course, there are big differences and this is a reboot and all that stuff. But it, it goes up against that comparison, but it also goes up against some others. The most recent you, reboot, the Brian Singer one. Uh, yeah, that that as well. But I think everybody kind of agrees that that's dismissible. Like we can kind of forget that ever happened. You know, I don't think anyone really. You know, Sadly, so because it had it had it had some things going for yeah. him. But boy, oh boy, it, it, yeah. It, yeah. I think that's everybody. A whole other topic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think everybody agrees we can we can forget about that. But the other expectations that it has are the expectation of your summer blockbuster movie and your expectation of a superhero movie in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this movie is coming out against the backdrop of the Avengers and Iron Man three, and um, and I don't know what other mo- superhero movies there are out lately. Um, I guess the Batman movies maybe, um, and and also the the summer blockbuster is coming up against Pacific Rim and you know all those Transformers movies, sure. and I know that when I go to see let's say, a superhero movie, I generally expect a certain amount of lightness, a certain amount of seriousness, a certain amount of action. You know, I think the uh, the Avengers franchise does it really well. When I go to see a summer blockbuster, I expect a lot of action, a lot of special effects. And unfortunately, Nick, that's the stuff that usually when I go into one of these movies, I'm like, oh, I have to endure these stupid special effects and these mm-hmm. battle scenes because I don't like them very much. And I hate to say it, but that was the best part of this movie to me. Like, they did a really good job with some of the effects. And, and oh, my God, scenes, yeah. It was you know, like when he's, like, there are scenes where, you know, one, one of, like, I think it's one of somebody's flying away and someone else grabs him, but he's still kind of horizontal in the, the air. Physics the physics of it is is pretty amazing for a good, like, 10 or 15 minutes until you realize that like, these overkill. are yeah. basically invincible people fighting each other, and there's no real point. So, okay, there's that. So, but... The, for me to say that that's the best part of the movie means there's something wrong with the movie because that's usually the stuff I hate. <laughs> I don't like that stuff generally, you know? And I did like that. And I think it, it goes to, I think the father moment, I mean, if you have to take a step back and say, if I were the screenwriter, here's how I would do this, you're, it, you've already failed. I disagree because <laughs> for me, it was it was such a powerful moment that it... it, it it, how should I put this? It was. It, I don't think it was a failure. If anything, I, the exact opposite. It was a tremendous. You know, it's it's either go big or go home mentality with that. It's sort of like you take a terrible risk, and obviously it paid off for some people like me, and and failed for others yeah. who thought it was just simply not believable. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it showed remarkable um, restraint in the sense of. It, it, granted, that it's incredibly over the top and bold and daring and shocking thing to do in the script. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's it's a it's the action itself is about restraint in the face of extreme emotional crisis, and that is what Superman is made of restraint in the face of extreme emotional crisis. I think it goes a long way in defining who and what Clark Kent will become. So you're you're saying that this sets it up for the other movies no just for the because i don't see it of in, superman because i don't see in this movie i don't see clark kent slash superman as being conflicted at all i don't see him being i don't see any i don't see much inner turmoil really no, um no, 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 except for in that in that moment no i'm saying that mm-hmm. this is in his past sure and that it be it it 
it sets up and defines who he becomes as an adult. It's one oh, of the sure, yeah. major... Uh, yeah. When I say it, it it's, yeah. a, it's about restraint in the face of extreme emotional duress or, or crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that that's, that's what the character becomes. I'm not saying that that's his perpetual state throughout the film. Just in right. that moment right. is, in, is the theme that is, that is given to us in that moment is one of restraint despite the fact that there's great personal loss involved. And that's the stuff that heroes are made of. I, I can see that. I, I, yeah, we're going to have to just disagree, I think, because I think the way it's done, I think you're right. I think there are ways that they could have done that because I think maybe, um, you know, you think of maybe Spider-Man who, you know, his main thing is that his uncle died, not because he let him, but because he, he wasn't vigilant enough. Right, and that's right. his driving force. But with Superman, it's you know I let my father die because he told me to, basically, right? And because you know I agree, I agree with him on some level that the world's not ready for me or whatever. But I just I feel like that maybe it was the way the moment was filmed, or maybe it was the fact that beyond that, there's not a whole lot of character development. Either of him or anybody else, you know. I'm thinking now of um, of Lois Lane, and you know Amy Adams is. Uh, yeah, she's great in it. I agree, but you're right. Fine. But there's there's yeah. nothing there's there's not a whole lot of meat there. Right, there's not a lot of meat there, and she just kind of shows up everywhere. Yeah. You know, why is Lois Lane on the front line of that big <laughs> military thing when there when the ship comes down? Like, why is she in the helicopter at yeah. the end? How in the world does this reporter get to be everywhere with the military, with, yeah. with you know, with everything? It's, it, halfway through the film, they, they, they throw us the explainer that she's the only one that knows, you know, uh, who Clark is, you know, basically, who this alien right. is. So yeah. that, that gets her VIP status. But up until that point, she's like everywhere that nobody can be, you know. I mean, yeah. she has a Pulitzer, which is nice, but... Uh, <laughs> It's sort of like, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I agree that Amy is just, it's, she makes incredible the most out of an, uh, an underwritten role. Right. Uh, and so then I, I just give her all the more props yeah. for, because it was really more Clark's film, clearly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all but, about him and his past. And, you know. This is also why I give Michael Shannon credit, because I think that he, the, I think that all of the supporting characters are working with a, a poorly written script. Uh, the the supporting characters are underwritten. Uh, the plot is is constructed just so well. We have to have her in the scene, so we'll just put her in the helicopter. Oh well, Zod has this motivation, so we have to, you know. And some of the dialogue is way overwritten for Zod. I think. Ooh, man, and he, and he chomps it like it's a big ham hock, dude. <laughs> and he's got. What else can he do? You know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, to it's, some it's, extent. It's... It's like I don't, man. I don't even know. Uh, I, I just, I, wow. I had a problem with yeah the way that part was written, yeah. and, and, and less the, with the way it was written, and more with this guy's sort of, uh, you know, uh, hyper interpretation of it was a little. Um, I mean, it's already a, it's already a, a grand spectacle film. Like yeah. you can, you can tone it down. You don't yeah. have to meet the level of, of you know, the hyperactivity going around you just tone it down i mean that's what fucking marlon brando did <laughs> i mean just to keep, yeah. keep it chill and you'll be fine you know but yeah. 
um, you know, uh, as Jor-El. But at any rate, uh, I, I don't think it's a poorly written script at all. I think it is a script that sort of loses its way a little bit in, in the wake of demands for spectacle, 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 spectacle. And uh, I think, like you, I love the first half hour. I'd go so far as to say I love the first 90 minutes. Um, and I love this idea of the terraforming, too. That was great. This sort yeah. of like imperialistic, genocidal terraforming that they're going to be doing by by. Oh my God! But those slamming of that, those those big gravity. Now that was fantastic. That's what I yeah, wanted from cool. the film. Yeah. That especially the the special effects, the the sorry, the um sound effects supervisors, the those guys, and the foley artists that were basically making those sounds, uh, as those huge gravity you know blasts were hitting both both poles of the earth. Yeah. And I'm like, this is brilliant. You don't see yeah. this every day in a super in a, in a superhero film. And then I love when Clark went to go fight that thing, and it's kicking his ass, and it's all over the place. And then finally, he just gets underneath it and shoots right up to it. I, I loved all that. And then yeah. I, I I was like totally fine until I got like 20 more climaxes after that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I would um. You know, one of the reasons I liked Iron Man 1 was that the final battle was really short. Because I remember thinking to myself, there is one big battle, and then there's another one where they meet in that, like, domed area or whatever it was. Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, are you serious? And it, it's all over in, like, a couple minutes. I'm like, oh, thanks. Thank you. You know, because that's more about character. It's, you know, it's, it's got some it's got some lighter moments, which this doesn't have. Um and this, you're right, I mean, climax after climax, it's great for a while, but that's Zack Snyder's thing, right? I'm not sure how you felt about 300, but all I remember about 300 is is the battle scenes. I don't remember caring about the characters. I don't remember right. any good acting. Um, I haven't seen Sucker Punch, but the trailers, I think, probably tell me all I need to know about it. You know, I, that's his thing. He's, he's all spectacle. He's not real big on character. He's not real big on, um, you know, on acting and directing actors it doesn't seem like to me um it, it's all it's all spectacle and that's what you get i mean he's not he's not as bad as michael bay perhaps and and the, oh, and the things yeah, that no, he directs no, are no. better I don't but, think he's, yeah, anywhere but he's in well i think he's in the same class to be honest with you at least what i've seen so far i, I don't think he's as bad but i think he's in the same class well but, i did i mean dawn of the dead is a is a really solid reboot you know. Um, yeah, okay, I will admit I have not seen that. So okay, okay so that I have to, yeah, I'll have to defer to you on that one for sure. He takes so. liberties with the ending from the original and uh, sort of contextual endings, different different era endings. Um, one being more pessimistic and one being more optimistic. Um, but apart from that, it's a, it's you know, and that's it's it's pretty sacred territory to Romero yeah. fans and zombie fans in general. That's you know. Romero's guy, kind of the guy that arguably created the genre, the contemporary genre of the zombie film. So he was, it was pretty risky to do, and he 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 won a lot of people over with that. I think his career is based off of the success of Dawn of the Dead, really. Yeah, because he's like Fincher. He got his career doing slick sort of, you know, commercial television and stuff like that. And uh, I know. I can see that. Yeah, sure, sure. You know the uh, the. Screenwriting. I want to go back to that just for just for one second because um, you know I realize that Snyder's not responsible for everything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's you know, and and the screenwriting. Uh, as much as I'm bashing it, like the you know David Goyer wrote it, right? Right. And uh, you know he wrote some of my favorite films. He wrote Batman Begins, which I think is 
arguably the best of the of those Batman movies. Um, he wrote um, Dark City, which you know I love. Oh God! Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. You know, you know, he's written some. some That's stuff why I'm surprised that I, that I a little bit. Like, there's such you a know, yeah. the, the political you know? valence is so explicit too. I mean, here you have. Zod, who's this foreigner here on Earth and cannot empathize with the humans and just yeah. wants to terraform it, and he can't—he's not used to the abilities. Remember, like when he takes the helmet off, he can't—he, you know, all the problems that plagued Kent as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so he, there's a, a complete and utter lack of empathy, and and yet Clark, who's all on the sort of you know humanistic side of things here, wanting to save the earth and everything. He's been, he's grown up as one of them and is, and wants to save them all. And so you've got all these like political valences, I think left and right all over the place that are just, you know, waiting to be plucked. Uh, I'm not sure. making a whole lot of them, a whole lot out of them because, uh, you know, there's, there's not much point in it, but I do think it is, it speaks to some, uh, as most films do, the immediacy of the sort of, and, and of contemporaneous issues in politics and, yeah, and global, yeah. you know, the global. Um, I agree. And let's, I want to bring up a couple of those actually. Um, and one is the, uh, the stuff on Krypton where it's kind of like a brave new world sort of thing. Like yes. you mentioned earlier where people are, are born, not even born, but somehow created, right? They're not, there's no natural birth, right. but they're born with a particular role and that's what they do. And that's what Michael Shannon uh, Zod is. He's, right. he's a soldier. He's there to defend, you know, Krypton, and, and that's what he's going to do in whatever way he he feels that that's, however he interprets that. And that's, I like that, you know, I think that's an interesting character, and it shows this lack of flexibility, which you're trying to play against, I suppose, um, Clark Kent, who has this uh, the DNA of everybody on Krypton encoded in his DNA, and, yeah. you know, and all this stuff, and he has these choices to make, and he's supposed to be this complex, you know, character and all that. And and I think that's very interesting. I think um, another thing that's interesting is I remember when we were talking about this a couple episodes ago. When I was talking about it, you you were excited because you know the whole truth, justice, American way. Mm-hmm. That's not there, right? The American way part is absent from this movie, which I found kind of interesting on a lot on a lot of different levels. Oh yeah, now I'm, I wasn't excited about it. It was just the opposite. I was sort of like worried about the fact whether or not they would. Um, one of my principal arguments about Brian Singer's 2006 version was it was a like a Superman film that seemed to be ultimately ashamed of itself. You know, <laughs> particularly at a time when the film nice. could have like you know really celebrated what are the better you know angels of of, of humanity, right? The sort of like things that um, make us come together and rise above right. on those rare occasions. You know, like the Harlan Ellison line when he talks about how the the the, the when he he's happy when uh, um, he doesn't want to give the human race over to the cockroaches when he reads a story about you know in, in that documentary about uh, um, one one yeah, one kid has cancer and is going through chemo, so they shave his head, and then everybody in the teacher in second grade also shaves their head and he's like yes that's what we're capable of but we never see that i mean obviously the news doesn't like to i mean that's not much of a story let's let's lead with the more sensational death rape you know corruption you know stories that they think was stuff we want to hear and so i was really worried that this film might be just another example of the 2006 uh reboot which was 
it just seemed like a brooding, darker Superman, a peeping Tom Superman, a Superman who just seemed out of place. And, and they, reboot, they rebooted everything about the 78 film. Lex Luthor, Miss Tessmacher, mm-hmm. fucking yeah. real estate was again the, the yep. whole idea. You know? <laughs> right. That's where you can see why I was so happy with Man of Steel yeah. because it sort of eschewed all of that. Yeah. And went in completely new and you know risky mm-hmm. territory. Yeah. To your point about uh, Americanism, uh, you know American exceptionalism or whatever in it uh, being a lack of it in there, um, you know I th- no I think it's there. I think it's embedded in sort of all the flashbacks of it. If there's there's a certain really charming Hans Zimmer does a great job of there's a really evocative score. Yeah, and you know when we see those moments, like you said, those puberty moments um, of him growing up, those soft moments of of his mom coming to school and 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 he's in the broom closet or whatever the janitor's closet, or when the the school bus goes off the bridge, or when we see at the end the 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 clothesline, you know, the laundry hanging, and he's got his cape on as a little boy, and mm-hmm. I think all of that sort of like. Is there that sort of Norman Rockwell esque uh, action comics number one Americana <laughs> is there? It's just uh, far less explicit, you know. It's in, it's in a yeah. much more toned yeah. down hue. And the um, the Amer- the the U.S. government is responsible for a lot of the destruction in the city, yep. right? And and he's at odds with them. You know that thing at the very very end. Where he takes down, this is so stupid. I thought, but where he takes down the um, was it like a drone or something, some kind of uh, spy drone. Oh right, <laughs> right. That, you know they're on. Yeah, they're like uh, this military guy and this woman are driving through the through the desert, right? And all of a sudden, this big old spy drone, whatever, comes down and it's him. And like, like he had, they were suspicious of him early in the movie. He comes and he saves everybody. Well, I mean, a lot of people die, but he saves the day. He defeats these people, these foreigners, as you say. You know, these outsiders, right? It's kind of it's kind of xenophobic, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, he kind of proves that not only is he quite the badass and kind of you know uh, undefeatable, but also he's he's on the right side. He's on the good side. But then they're still spying on him, and they and I think the guy says something like. Well, we want to know where you are in case you decide to turn against us or something weird, like against American interests or something mm. like that. And it, it, it was so cheesy, I thought, you know. But but it goes back to that. It's 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 the I agree with government you. you see, but it's more of a global problem since the those big cool excavating machines. That, I agree with you. They're awesome. Oh yeah, those are great. Either they're on like different sides of the globe, so it's more of a global thing. So I just remembered while we were talking that. Um, I remember uh, tweeting some of the uh, terrible, what I considered uh, terrible dialogue in the movie, and I just mm-hmm. found it. I'm gonna read some to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the when the uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing. <laughs> um, when uh, the uh, when Zod takes over the computers and the you know and the TVs and he broadcasts all that stuff. Yeah. Someone says, "It's in the RSS feeds." And she looks at her phone. It's on my phone. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> you'll agree with this one, Zod. I think it was Zod who said this. This can end two ways. You die or I die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's then, like, wow. And then his rebuttal. That's like George Lucas bad. 
Yeah, and then the rebuttal is, you're a monster, and I'm going to stop you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, That's and it. then my favorite was from that scene I just described, um, where, you know, he's like, we want to make sure that you're not doing anything against the American interests. And he says, oh, I'm from Kansas. That's as American as it gets. Yeah, I know. Those, like, those, those, those actually hurt my ears. On. <laughs> Those are one of the like ones I could remember when I was screenwriting dialogue 101. You know, know. That's, that's like it's it's just. I'm you know. telling you, if Nick, if a student of ours, and we both taught screenwriting, if a student of ours came with a 140 page screenplay that that had that dialogue and had the 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 plot points that this thing has, we would have a lot of red ink on this thing. Including would, the, but I would really also bother. highlight a lot of the really excellent things that are there, too. Sure. Um, you know, I was just thinking that this film does share a lot with Chris Nolan's Batman franchise <laughs> in that uh, Clark is seen as sort of, you know, uh, one of the proletariat masses, which is really kind of cool. Whereas Bruce Wayne, you know, is is the, the billionaire. He's, yeah, he's, true. he's a protector, yeah. right? Yeah. Where do we see Clark in the beginning of the film? He's working on a barge, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. And where do we see him after that? He's like uh, cleaning, what, he's like bussing tables, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And trying to save that waitress from that that yeah. uh, very that working class yeah. yeah working class mm-hmm. yeah yep. and it, th- he's got that beard the beard <laughs> and, and that that is like consistently you know wed throughout uh, threaded throughout the entire film I thought up until the very end when he's like he sort of like bumps up to a slightly what we'd consider maybe more white collar job which is you know and we could argue that which is journalism <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh, you want to talk about that um, at the end where he's got the glasses on now everyone always laughs about oh he puts glasses on and no one can ever recognize him that's a long standing joke of course with Superman which they destroyed which I but, thought was awesome kind of I mean because he's like I mean he's been on camera everybody knows his face that's the point they destroy right. that whole thing no i don't think they were saying at all that there's a dual i mean she's been calling him clark the whole film she stood at his yeah, she father's grave she knows and but i think, we're supposed to believe that nobody else was put two and two together well the people that know him probably will and i think that's what was beautiful about yeah. it in one fell swoop i think snyder and or goyer whoever said all right enough of the double identity shit um, like you know, people like people can know or not know, or who cares. Certainly, let's let Lo- Lois know. And yeah, and and I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm I'm really yeah. fine with it. We I mean, when she says when she says "Welcome to the planet," that's actually a pretty good line. Yeah, right. Welcome that's to good. The now that works. Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. But you know, we're we're also in a time of cell phones and right you know this is a modern movie right cell phones and in the web and all this stuff and it is kind of funny that he's going into journalism to a newspaper right (laughs) (laughs) right that's that's interesting but you know the fact that he's been plastered all over the place and i yeah no I, i agree with you on that i suppose but so we're talking like the first act was pretty good um and the very, 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 very end when he, when he starts working at the at the planet. Right? I think the first act is about <laughs> as good as you get in an, mm-hmm. an increasingly, unbelievably saturated market where we come to expect the same thing from every one of these types yeah. of films. Yeah. Um. And and let's and let's be honest about it. I think we're we've we reached genre exhaustion with this whole thing. I mean, this the we waited like decades for the technology to be there to sort of bring some of these characters from the page to the screen yeah. with some fidelity. 
mm-hmm. and uh, some imagination. And now we've had it for so long, I think that it's kind of it's limping in certain ways. And um, I think Chris Nolan did a great job in yeah, I agree. In, in sort of reimagining what the genre could be. Uh, and I think Zach, you know, let me. I guess my final words would be: I think there's a lot to admire in this film, and unfortunately, there's not nearly as much to not admire. But there's a good chunk. <laughs> yeah, I so think have, I think its pros outweigh its cons. Mm, that's interesting. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't see myself watching it again. Maybe I will just to revisit and see if I can get your point of view. I think that we're like you like it with some reservations and I don't like it, but I do see some of the good things about it. Yeah, you we're sort of I mean? we're, we're not we're not meeting in the middle. We're sort of like just sort of giving in a little giving a little ground on both yeah. sides here and right. and and that's but I mean like you're I 70 guess, 30 and I'm 30 70 or something like you know exactly. whatever right exactly. yeah that's a great way to put it yeah. because and in fact if you ever did watch it again I would probably say um watch it up to this point and turn it off and that would probably be like when he when he like flies up through the the anus of that huge machine you know anus <laughs> he gives it a colostomy that's funny and uh yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, just that to me was like, you know, I loved that, and and I could even go a little bit further than that into the film. But then I would yeah. just turn it off because, yeah, it did, it yeah. didn't, it just, you know, I was like, you know, and I think that seems to be from what I've seen online, it seems to be the general, the the consensus regarding the last third of the film is like, all right, we get it, you know, enough. Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. We all cried um, uncle. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, in some ways, like Superman. How should I put this? You you mentioned uh, a comparison to Superman and Batman, and I agree. Like I think they're trying to do what what Chris Nolan did with Batman, make it darker, make it more brooding. But your but your observation is really good. I think about the working class kind of uh, background of uh, Superman, kind of small town versus Batman. I think you're I think you're right about that, and they're different kind of heroes too. And that's that goes back to the comics. That goes back, you know, many decades. Sure. Um, you know, where Superman, for me, and I think for a lot of people, is not—he's not somebody I can relate to. You know, he's—he's he's invincible. He's, there's nothing interesting about him in a lot of ways. Um, whereas Batman is, you know, he's human. He's got—he's got human kind of failings and problems and all that. He just happens to be rich. But there are, I think it's, you know, if you do a comparison of the heroes themselves just from from, from the comics, you get, you know, very, very, very different characters. And, um, and I think Superman's hard to do on screen. It is, and that, it's hard to reason. do in a darker tone because it, yeah. the character cries out to be in much more vibrant colors. Yeah. And that's just, that's that's how it was, you know, he's created. You know, it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why Captain America worked, uh, at least for me, in, in so many levels. Is I mean, that is a that's also a character that is you know calls for you know a vibrant treatment. Yeah. But they were they had the luxury of of rooting that within the sort of like malevolent evil umbrella of World War II and the spread of fascism and yeah. Nazism. So they were able to go dark with that because of the dark times. Right. With Superman, it's just hard to take yeah. it to dark places. You know, it, it cries out to be a, a unifying genre, it's an like integrating genre, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. And um, I thought Snyder did a nice job of, bal- of the balancing act here. 
Yeah, I, I can see how uh, in that first act he was really trying to do that. And I think he did a good job too. You know, I liked the beard. The <laughs> beard was nice. <laughs> you know, um, this actor's great. I mean, he 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 nailed yeah. it. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. I, I agree completely with that. So, I mean, will I see the sequel? Because you know, there's going to be one. Um, yeah, you know, probably. <laughs> you know, I see all these things, whether I, whether I want to or not. Um, I, I, you see, I didn't like Captain America either. The movie, the first Captain America movie, uh-huh. did not like it. Um, maybe for the same reasons. Although I did like the Captain America character in the Avengers movie, if that makes sense. So yes, and I like so. the the Avengers for me. Although I mean, in 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 many here, this is funny. In many ways, the things that I like about Man of Steel. I like in a in a bigger way than I do about the Avengers. The Avengers is very Joss. It's got his sort of signature yeah, written yeah. all over it. Even though these other films, these disparate characters mm-hmm. that were brought together, kind of got lassoed into Joss's world with the way they were written in the Avengers. Well, it's because he wrote the screenplay, and right. um, so I think as a Joss Whedon vehicle, it was a, it was a home run. But and I can take a lot of flack for this. I would also say that I thought that the there was much more. I felt more dramatic moments, for sure, in Man of Steel that affected me more. You know, Avengers was like a wild, fun ride. Sure. But, yeah. but there was like really there were tender moments, and I think Hans Zimmer was wise to completely stay away from John Williams' iconic score for Superman. And, you know, any hint of that would have wouldn't have it would have been congruous. It would it wouldn't have fit. Huh. It wouldn't have fit in this reboot because they've gone to such length to sort of like sever ties, but with a, a if, like I said at the top in a reverent way, um, by like we talked about at the end, his identity is clearly known to Lois, and and you know the way yeah, sure. have, like, like all these little things they've done throughout yeah. the film, the way the father dies and so on, all these things they've done to sort of separate it from. Donner's version and Brian Singer's version. If you had brought in John Williams' fanfare, that it would have collapsed. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think they were trying really hard to to not do that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree completely. And I think I think you're right about that for sure. Um, according to uh, IMDb, um, I don't know if this is, uh, this must be true, but they're both 143 minutes. Oh, singers and no, not singers. No, uh, Donners oh, and God. this one are both 143 according to IMDb. Interesting. Isn't that weird to the minute? Is that strange? Oh, that's that strange. <laughs> I should say that years ago there was a um, a, Hall- a a Hallmark film that was made, and there was you know when it was a typical Hall- Hallmark Channel thing, and there was a very cute girl in there, probably I don't know what she was, uh, nine or ten. Um, and I thought, boy, God, she's going to be, you know, I hope she continues acting. She's very, she's a very cute girl. And sure enough, she wound up playing Lana Lang in this. So, so she's only in it for, for a few minutes on the mm-hmm. bus. But as the, the casting agent in me, that's always in me when I'm watching films <laughs> right, and I right. see a child actor that I think has a spark about them. Uh, was uh, vindicated because I'm like, oh, that's the girl from that Hallmark movie five or six years ago. She's whatever, 17 or 18 now. And I'm like, oh, well, good. I hope she's got a bright future ahead of her because at least she was in a, a major you know, uh, blockbuster this summer. So hopefully it'll be a springboard and career can mm-hmm. take off. Right. Yes, we will see. We will see. Well, um, also according to IMDb, David Goyer is writing the 
Justice League movie. So we'll see how that goes. We compare that. We will compare that to the Avengers in 2017 or whenever it comes out. You know, Yikes, yeah. when we're on episode like you know 300 and something or whatever. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I can't do that kind of math. But you get the idea. One thing. One thing that just bears a little reiteration is I agree with you 100% about everybody else being like sort of uh, underwritten. Um, you bring in a character, you know, bring in an actor like like uh, Fishburne to play Perry White, and you know he yeah. he does what he can with the right. minutes that he has, but yeah. there's not much he can do. And and Amy Adams is lovely. I mean, she's a real you know she just holds it all together in many ways. Yeah. But she's underwritten, and it's like yeah. everybody's underwritten except Clark. Yeah, which yeah. is why at the end when when they kiss, you're like. Like to me, I was like, "Well, I guess they have to kiss now because it's a movie, and that's Clark Kent and Lois Lane, and that's what they have to do." Although I feel absolutely no, I see no connection between them. I see no, you know, like emotional connection. There's no build up to that, but it's like, "Well, here we are. It's the end of the movie. We better kiss." You know, it just seems so because, and it's because those supporting roles are so underwritten. I think that you don't get any of that, and you know. What do you expect? So, okay. Well, I think um, I think we've had a good discussion here. Yeah, we have. Hopefully, there will yeah. be listeners that identify with both of our points yeah. of view. And, I'm sure there will be. And and, yeah. and we invite um, you know emails or go to the Facebook page and tell us where we got it right or where we, where we got it wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, be prepared for our defenses because clearly Eric and I have uh, different opinions about this film. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure. Uh, there will be people who think I'm crazy and people who think you're crazy. So, which is cool. Yeah. All right. Good, good. Okay. Well, we're going to, I'm going to sign off. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.